Welcome to episode two of the Center Stage Beauty podcast. Last episode, we spoke about the many wonders of being a hairstylist and also to the pitfalls of just being in the beauty and entertainment space. Today's guest is a dresser with a costume design and art background. Yes, this girl loves everything fashion. What is a costume designer? A costume designer is a person responsible for designing the costumes, making sure they match the specific time period, and also to being able to invoke the director's vision for the play or production. What are some of the responsibilities of a costume designer? Reading the full script, making and marking notes on areas that affect the costume, researching the time period and setting of the play, researching fashion and the specific time periods, designing the costume for each and every character that's on set, liaising with the director on any areas or room for improvement within the costumes. The estimated total pay of a costume designer in New York is $56,880 per year, with an average salary of $53,670 per year. This data was gathered by Glassdoor.com. Our guest today is Angela M. Flood, and I work currently with her on a Broadway production, and we are both represented by IATSE Local Union. She is an experienced fashion stylist, costume designer, and has an extensive art background. Angela, welcome to Center Stage. Hi, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Now, for the viewers and listeners, Angela, could you tell me a little bit about your background? Uh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Yes. (laughs) Uh, To a fashionista mama and a pattern-making pops. Uh, My father has been uh, working in fashion since I was a little girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, by trade, a pattern maker. Okay. My mom was a working professional and mm-hmm. she was a homemaker, but she was my first introduction into fashion and style. Wow. Um, so I've been in working in fashion and entertainment for over 10 years. Mm. And, um, as an educator for approximately three for organizations such as Harlem Children's Zone and, uh, Fordham Uni- University. Mm, very nice. So you're basically born to do this. Basically, it's my genes. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me a little bit about your family. Do you have any siblings? What, what's that looking like? Were you the only artist? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, I'm the second youngest uh-huh. out of five girls. Wow. Um, my younger sister and I were from my mom and dad's relationship. Um, my three older sisters or from my dad's um, previous marriage and relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, as for, uh, are there any artists um, in the family? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to a degree, we're all artists. My oldest sister, she is a really great illustrator, but okay. uh, she didn't make a career out of it. It's just something she just, something cool that she just knows how to do. <laughs> and just like leisure. Like, yeah. Okay, like I remember as a little kid, uh, she just rendered something. I was like, why don't you proceed this? Like, this? She was like, no, no. no. I was like, okay. okay you know, yeah. so she just fly like that. You just have a skill. Mm. You just, you know, don't not, not even making money off of it. It's just something she does for fun. For fun. Um, and uh, my sister, mm-hmm. uh, she has a hospitality background okay. and a medical background. And her science brain and her food brain makes her a wicked chef and cook. Like she's a, currently a homemaker, but 
she can make some mean food. Oh, nice. So that's her artistry. Her artistry. So I guess you were, you were at her house for Thanksgiving. <laughs> exactly. That's why I'm going for Christmas, too. <laughs> uh, um, and the original artists in my family were my mom and dad. Nice. My dad, being a pattern maker, he was also an inspiring designer. And uh, illustration and sketching skills that I got from my dad, my old sister also got it from him as well. Wow. My mom is, aside from being a really great fascination and loving, knowing how to dress and loving clothes, she also knew how to interior design a house. My dad and mom were, were working tandem with each other. That is dope. <laughs> that is dope. <laughs> my mom and dad would like work in tandem with each other. My mom would have a concept or an idea. She'll buy the fabric. My dad would drape the curtains. Like he'll drape beautiful valances. Uh, my mom would buy the fabric for the couches. Mm-hmm. And my dad would take apart the couch and reupholster oh. it without any, any instruction. It was like a skill he learned growing up. I'm like, I would see like this entire chair in pieces. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do you put that back together? Yeah, yeah. And he just put it back together. My, you know, so in some weird way i've always been around creativity got it but you were the only one that really took it took the next steps to like okay this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna push for it i'm gonna go to school i'm gonna go do this i'm gonna do that yeah i'm my dad kind of passed the torch to me in essence Mm -hmm. i don't think he even realized it or i didn't even realize it where he pursued a career in fashion and i am kind of doing the same right yeah because when we, you know, get to talking and we talk about our background <laughs> and you were telling me all these things, like, you know, like you come from a business background and then you had your undergrad in fashion and then you went to Parsons. I was just like, wow, this is so dope. And then you're telling me your dad was a part of, um, pattern maker. I was just like, wow, this like there's a lot of people that are really inherently gifted and they don't pursue the arts. And I'm just like, wow, like. I'm glad like we had that one-on-one and, you know, our friendship, we speak about like what it is like just to be one of few. Yes. And, you know, just being relentless at a young age and taking, you know, your skill set to the next level and drawing inspiration from those that are around you and those that are not for you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to know, how were you as a child? Uh, as a child? Hmm. I was really shy. You really shy? shy? Shy, honey. With all of this? Yes. <laughs> okay. Shy. Mm-hmm. Uh, really like insecure. And I'm always, my, my protective space was my dream world. And uh, my sister, younger sister and I uh, were like partners in crime growing up. Mm-hmm. My intro to culture was my mom. Mm-hmm. I, I was different from the kids today and the kids back then. My mom barely had the TV on. We, I was lucky to grow up in a house with a backyard. So that's where my sister and I rocked. Our lower level at the den was our play area. Our room was our play area. We would create our own worlds. We would be there forever. Mm-hmm. We only come out for like food and water <laughs> and go to the bathroom. We were there forever, creating our own worlds, um, little towns and stuff without Barbie dolls. Right. Uh, where we would be outside, we just uh, create our own wonderland. Yeah. So she created this beautiful, like, safe space for us just to 
let our imaginations run wild. wild and be able to dream and vision and you know really develop you guys as like characters and coming into your own yes and also i think she was, she was very adamant for us to be children right and she didn't want us to grow up too fast right and i think i looking back on it i'm really grateful for that because mm-hmm. i think a lot of kids are robbed of that yeah um nowadays and having that space um allowed me to keep that close to me uh as I navigate through the industry. Right. Just keeping you really grounded and mindful of where you came from and where you're going. Yes. Um, my next question was, what is, you know, when did the arts infiltrate? But I think you really like covered that, you know, being able to dream and mom creating that safe space for you to imagine and just use your brain, think outside of the box. Yeah, like we're just some, being creative. Yeah, we had some fun times growing up with my sister and I. I think aside from creating own, our own little worlds, we, upon bedtime, you know, with black parents, is like when you go to bed, I don't want to hear a peep. I don't want to hear a sound from you. Uh-huh. My sister and I would peep. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, you know, we'd be in bed. Sometimes you're just restless, like I can't go to sleep yet. And how we were entertained with it each other we would share the same room we would create our own stories so we had our own story time amazing so i think we we, we kind of like write our, write our, wrote our own scripts and uh just played around until someone fell asleep and then we knew the story was over and <laughs> time to go to bed that was it yeah so you guys just told each other stories you know really dream you know little dreamers and then it was lights out yes so tell me, um, how has your relationship been with fashion? Fashion for me uh-huh. is like painting right. a canvas. I view my body as a canvas uh-huh. and painting is really a way of just expressing. This is my first space to express how I'm feeling right? or work any things out or even ask myself, why not? Let me just try something out. Mm-hmm. And I'm just blessed to have a mom that flowed in the same fashion as well. Growing up, my parents were not into designer clothes, shopping. We went to flea markets and thrift stores. So that was our play space. Mm-hmm. My mom's sense of style came from there as well. It was like going to the department stores, getting things for uh, cheap. Like she didn't allow like designer name labels and names to like mm-hmm. um, define us. Def- yeah, like we were the designer. Yeah, and you were given uh, articles of clothing. So make something. Make something. Yeah, and create. I, and I think one of the most special moments that had happened to me when I was younger is when we were at a flea market, mm-hmm. and there was a woman off in the distance. And she was like going through these clothes at a vendor. My mom pointed her out and she said, what do you think of what she's grabbing? And it was, uh, I think, a fur jacket. And it, it, was, it was weird coloring. So from afar, I was like, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure about that. And she stopped me. She was like, nothing's ever ugly. You just have to find the right person. And that's. And it stayed with me and allowed me to make things work Yeah, growing up. Mm-hmm. And another uh, awesome realization was that 
my mom never dressed to please any man. Facts. Or other people. Yes. It's purely about uh, expressing herself so. and having fun in her own body. Mm-hmm. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Because every time like we've seen each other, and even when I first started with the production, I was just like, oh my gosh, like you own every look that you come in with. I'm just like, right? So I was like, Angela, you need to dress me. I'm like, every look, it's a statement. It's you. And it's also to you have like this energy where, you know, people, they go for all these designers, but it's not them. It's the designers wearing them, but they're not owning the design. Yeah, I think I, I'm just grateful uh, my mom allowed us to have that play space. Play space to step into your own. Yes, but she was a stickler mm-hmm. on the fact that you just can't go out looking crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think any, <laughs> any parent wants that. And so, I, so, like, even something's like the most... Like, I never got into, like, wearing bonnets out the house or, mm-hmm. like, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I always thought, what if I bump into uh, someone I want to work with? Exactly. First impression. You always you think know? about that. So it's not about, it's more or less, like, I know uh, the path I want to be on and I want to take every moment to honor that. Right. And, you know, just being the best, showing the best. And your work is your canvas. So you're literally a walking billboard. You, t- you have to taste test your own food. That's right. And that's one of the things I, like, I admire. It's like, okay, what Angela's going to come with today? She come with something heavy today. Kelly, step it up. <laughs> step <laughs> now, it your up. style going to come to work out, the, the fit is always fire. It's always a uniform. It's always, everything hits you perfectly. And I'm like, yes, Kelly. So, thank I'm, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I have Todd as my style guru, my husband. He always keeps me in line like, hey, you know, you're going to remember you're, you know, working amongst the best. You're in the union. You're in here. You're in makeup. You carry yourself a certain esteem, but also too, your wardrobe has to be lit. So I always keep that in mind, like the look, the overall look. Now, tell me who inspires you. Who inspires me? For me, where I'm at right now, mm-hmm. the unknown, meaning the just future. Mm-hmm. Like, where are we going to go next? Uh, and also, the unknown is also a fearful place for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And discovery. So the, the unknown and discovery go hand in hand. It's, right. it, it's just, I'm in the space of exploring why not. Right. taking chances and learning and growing and plugging in and see where and trying my own course from there. So basically everything is kind of like your muse. You draw from people, things, and you, the unknown, <laughs> me, Todd, Todd, everyone. It's okay. like, yeah. It's like, I could, you take a little bit from everything, a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, you never know where your next inspiration is going to come from. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. That's wonderful. That's really, really great advice because people think that a lot of the times they need to have a mood board or they need to have like a specific vision in their head of where I'm going to go to next. 
And honestly, that that vision or that inspiration can come from anyone. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people want a clear cut answer. Like I've watched interviews with people. Yeah, like. Um, asking uh, artists and actors, like, how did you get where you are? And I'm like, and they're like, I just tried. Yeah. And I think people, have, I've realized this over the course of my own like development and growing that people are scared to try. There's, and failure, the anticipation of failure cripples them. I've been through that. Mm-hmm. And me going through that, I'm able to see it now, especially with um, the younger generation, even the adults. I think it's even worse for the adults because we get into a mode of like being on autopilot mm-hmm. and thinking autopilot in that sense of safety is um, living. And then when something comes in to interrupt mm-hmm. everything, for example, uh, COVID, <laughs> it right. shook up everyone and everyone thought they were the baddest thing coming until this thing came rocked their world and realized, hey, I wasn't living yeah. <laughs> the way I wanted to be. This job that I was at, I really don't want to be here. And it made people wake up and realize like, oh, I could be doing more. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I can be going to something that I've always wanted to. Yes. You know, getting things off the bucket list and just experimenting and seeing where um, your talent may lie in something else because I was going to tell you this and you probably know this too when I, I didn't start art until 15 and the thing about me was just like I was studying business I was doing business studies back in Trinidad I was in the A-level program getting ready to go to college studying business and then my mentor Ronald Smith who is like the number one colorist in the Caribbean he saw me and he, she just looked at me and she's like, have you ever tried art? Have you ever like, have you ever tried to paint? I was just like, no, but I'll try it. It's just something new. It's, it looks cool. It's ex- exciting. He gave me like, uh, I remember it's like a landscape, but like a house to do. I was just like, I want you to do this. And every day I would come in and I would just pick up the paintbrush, just do a little bit. And then he just, you know, always stepped back. He looked He's just like, you need to be in this program. And it was a two-year Cambridge accelerated art program to get into college um, to pursue visual arts. And I was the only one in the program that did not come from a solid art background way back when. You know, and Ronald, he just saw that gift in me that I never thought that I had. And sometimes it's you know, someone and trying new things and different things because you never know where you land and where you're going to get your money from and eventually be that real, you know, really, really successful. And I mean, I still pursued, I still did business, but I held on to my art background, which led into makeup and which led eventually into here. So I totally understand when you say when COVID came and shook up the world, and now everyone's like, you know, what are their next plans and what to do? Yes. Because a lot of I play it safe. I think people mis- uh, make the mistake of feeling that since they uh, have been so early a long time that they are successful and that they made it. Yeah. Um, I take a lot of my influence from jazz, music- jazz musicians. Yes. Um, they know their music, but they're able to also improv. Um, they're pretty much the only musicians that actually lose their whole brain mm-hmm. um and i want to be like the as an artist right 
And there, Miles Davis said the best quote, uh, don't fear mistakes because there are none. Um, and that's a philosophy I try to abide by. You got to go out there and make risks and, and have fun and figure your life out. You know, just because the things are going smoothly doesn't mean that you're actually on the right track. Exactly. Because sometimes I find like when you're very just complacent and you're just, okay, I'm just here. I'm just on this level. You're not really challenging yourself and you're not really taking it to the next level. And, you know, you're not surrounding yourself a lot of times with the right people. Are you not even growing? Right. That are going to uplift you and say, hey, I see you. Yes. I see you and you could be doing this. Why haven't we tried that? A lot of times, you know, we need that, you know, you need that advice, that push. And, you know, pushing yourself too, you know, goes without saying. So tell me, Angela, at what point or when did you develop your personal style? Because I want to know. I want to know if I had a late start or early start. (laughs) I want to know from the guru herself. (laughs) I think elementary. I think that point in time when your kid, when your parent allows you to dress yourself. Mm Mm-hmm is when I started developing my own personal style. Mm. Just putting things together and see what works. What works, okay. Uh, in school, like, I feel like, I always say, like, to my students now that the world now is just adults still in high school. Mm-hmm. Either you're uh, fully developed or you're still that little kid in an adult body mm-hmm. um, trying to make it hurt out here in the world. And... And high school was like for the first like really foresight into that because I would see st- kids or you had the group of kids that want to be cool and want to be popular, and I would see them buy like every holiday season they would all buy the name brand clothes, but then when they would wear the same clothes in cycles because that's all they had. Yeah, where I had endless style because my parents like flea, went flea market shopping and thrift shopping. Okay, well, interesting. It's true. Like, I did experience that at school. Yeah. yeah. The new outfits. And then we're like, oh, it's time to wear this in EJC, huh? Yeah. <laughs> the whole look. And then, and then when Wild, it was Wild, I'll say it on camera, was Wild, it was like, they were wearing exactly the same. They want to switch it up. They yes. want to break it up. The thing is, they, they shop for outfits. So they can only wear the outfit. So the outfit will go with the hat, the jeans, <laughs> the shoes. But the thing is, when you shop for outfits, you don't have style. Exactly. Because you should know how to blend and interchange. That's how you make your clothes last it's- long if you don't have. Exactly. Uh huh. I don't know how to like yeah. wear the shoes with that and yeah. wear the air with the cap. No, there's no style. thinking. There's no thinking, like, but that comes with style and, and, and knowing, like knowing your knowing yourself. Things is an art. Yeah, it's yeah. Like it's you just need your brain to. Mix and match yeah. patterns, yeah. colors, yeah. texture. Yeah. They can only work with one color scheme at a time. It's just it's like a palette. Yeah. And they don't like to switch color no. block, break I it mean, up. Exactly. Yeah, I'd be throwing it like and and is it. They don't like to do that. No, because a lot of times, like, uh, I realize the high school mindset, like I was saying, exists now. I've seen people, just gen- gen- people in general, not have a, a vision. Like going to high school and seeing kids wear their designer clothes or the latest kicks or the latest uh, outfit, and they would recycle the same looks, but would never break it up or change it up. It was just like, oh, here's this Maniche full suit again. You wore this like <laughs> you wore this last Friday. I guess we're wearing it again, huh? And they would never, never break it up or change yeah. it up. And I remember I had these LA gears, and they were like these hiking boots. I got them from, from the flea market, but they were like turquoise. They were loud. I loved them. 
And the kids there were just like, what are you wearing? Like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm wearing what I like. I just never understood the mindset that I have to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do what you're doing. Yeah. I want to do what I'm doing and I want you to respect it. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting how this like cult-like mindset around uh, clothes and yes. like... This, that clothes defines you and you should be wearing this to feel mm-hmm. like you're included in something great or something that's you know, like the red velvet rope to get into the club or whatever. Like, no, it's, it's not, you can be comfortable with what you're wearing and you can be you and in your authentic self. And I think a lot of times people are too, especially like that in high school, uh, people were too scared to be themselves because everyone's insecure and figured themselves out and they're too scared to be themselves. Yeah. And stand out. And I always just did my own thing. And because of that, I always had haters. <laughs> always had haters. I'll never forget. There was this uh, a really cool um, girl in high school. She was just, she wasn't cool in the way of like, you know, the stereotype of like, you know, cool kid. But she just moved differently from everyone else. So like, she just seemed like she should be like in college. She was very mature. Very, okay. Yeah. And um, she had a job in retail. She just knew fashion. And I remember one day I took yearbook class. I have, so we all we were seniors and we all like part of a part of a group to assemble the yearbook. Mm-hmm. And, and it was our class. And I had this like knit cap on and she looked at me. She's like, I really like your cap. I was like, thank you. And I was like, it meant a lot because, you know, she was such a fascination. And this one girl, she always followed me from class to class. We had classes together. But she always made it her mission to let me know that what I was doing was not that great. So, <laughs> so mm. as like as soon as she gave me a compliment, this girl came out of left field and sat down next to me. Well, like, I don't really like it. I don't like your hat, Angela. I was like, that's nice. It's great. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but when the like when we hurt here of the saying of like haters make it a full-time job oh yeah they it's do. real it's like yeah. it was our full-time job to find me to let me know that what i was doing was not that great mm-hmm. um but it, it, that uh i deal with that to this day like people make their mission off the street to come up to me and just like you know what i think that you know what you're doing is not that great I'm like or whatever I'm like that's nice but i'm not doing this for you and i think a lot of times i've learned the more you have haters is the m- it's also a flag from the universe that you're on the right path. Absolutely. Because you're stirring people. You're, you're leaning. I, I'm focused on leaning into my own design. Right. And you're not the norm. And not the norm. You're I'm different. Supposed to, you're supposed, you're, if you're not shaking things up and forcing people to wake up and think. And look. Not, and look. Yes. Mm-hmm. And lean into their purpose or even question or wonder why. I've had, like, pre-pandemic, from down to my hair, I would, like, do, like, different styles that were not done by typical typical hairstylists. Mm-hmm. Even my own hairstylist would be like, I never thought of that. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. And I would be on trains and grown men would get up and, and just look at me and like, I never thought of that. Thank you for showing me this. Inspiring me. Yeah, so yeah. I've had people come up, get out their seats and walk to me and it's like, I just have to say this. I really like your look. I don't know. Something's pulling me to tell you this, but thank you. Mm-hmm. And And like, it's cool to make people think differently or even I want to, my goal is for when I get dressed in a day and I move in any space that people know what's possible, especially us. Absolutely. 
And um, with that, with your last point, just being around you, you move with a certain level of excellence. And you always hold yourself to a very high standard. And when we saw each other, you came up to me and you're just like, I see you. And I was just like, we see each other. And it was just like looking in the mirror, honestly. It's just like, wow. And it was just that same energy. You're just like, your hair is fire. You look as fire, Kelly. You're just, I'm just like, damn, girl. I was like, look at you. You are representing. So when I saw like, oh, wow, she holds herself to a really great standard, visually, mentally, physically, everything. It questions. I was just like, I was just, just like to myself, like, wow, like, you know, Kelly, you can step your game up. That's, that's, that's who you need to be around because she envisions, envisions herself to the highest. You can take from that too and be the best in whatever you put yourself to and put your mindset to. And I take a lot of that from you. And I see you. I see you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so, Angela, I know you studied business and you have your associates in fashion. Tell me how challenging was that course and just getting on that road what was your navigation like from business to fashion to Parsons? Tell me. So funny enough, my interest first was music. I wanted to pursue music first. I wanted to sing. I wanted to write. But I, during that particular time, like the lack of support and lack of community and really insecure, I didn't really follow through with it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like settled on a business degree because I'm like, what's well, going to work in everything business? Girl, girl. I was like, yeah, this works. Yeah, yeah, this, 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 this is gonna get me the job. <laughs> so I took, got into Brooklyn College, and I studied business management and finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is when I still decided to write. I always kept this big book with me, and it was a book of poems and songs. So I was an avid like songwriter. I never performed anything, and in, 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 uh, back then I wish I did, but maybe I'll do that now. You never know what happens. Exactly, yeah. But my inspiration then was Aaliyah. Aaliyah was, dropped her last album. Mm-hmm. Her latest album, her influence just fell in sync with me. When she right. was a tomboy, I was a tomboy. She didn't like wearing dresses. I don't like wearing dresses. And I remember the time uh, she decided to... Uh, wear a dress for the first time. I think it was, uh, aren't you that somebody? I need somebody. Tell me you need somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the choreographer convinced her to wear a dress for the first time. She wore that black number for the breakdown at the end. And I remember being home. This is someone that I always wore oversized hoodies and baggy clothes. I was real, I was real TLC. <laughs> I was like, not showing nobody. And I remember being on vacation with my parents and the video was playing. I was like, mom, would you want me to wear that? And she had that beautiful, like black number on it. Yeah. And my mom looked at the television, she's, a television and she was like, yes. <laughs> she just wanted me to dress so bad. She's like, yes, you can wear that. I was like, yes. Um, but I always wanted to combine music and fashion. And I think I always wanted to work with her. She was my first, like, uh, 
this person I want to work with. Mm -hmm. So when she passed away, I remember crying. I I never felt that way about anybody. That what that was an effect on you, yeah. Yeah, and I remember going home and talking to my dad. I was like, I can't stop crying. This is really weird. And my dad looked at me. He's like, Yeah, I totally get you. I understand what this is about. So this is how we felt when we lost Marvin Gaye. Mm -hmm. And we kind of had that kindred moment. I think ever since then, I was like, How am I? It made made me really wake up and realize I'm like, Oh, these people I want to work with, they're not going to be around forever. They're just like us. Yeah, they're just like us. Yeah. You know, at times we, when we look at celebrities and artists, we kind of deify them and we forget that they, you know, they're going to pass away. Yeah. They're humans just like us. Exactly. They have a expiration time. Yes. Yeah. So it made me really think, get the ball rolling and figuring out like how to combine music and fashion. So once I graduated from Brooklyn College, I took a really crappy, <laughs> crappy accounting job that wasn't the best. hmm and I was like, uh, we need to pivot. <laughs> so uh, I applied to um, design school. I applied to FIT, but did not get in. First, I discovered Parsons. Like once I didn't get into FIT, I was home one day and I was looking at television. There's just this channel that just uh, had just show different runway shows. Right. And at the bottom, it will tell like the bio of the designer. Project runway? No, it was pre- Pre-project runway. Pre-project runway. I went to Parsons when Project Runway was starting. Like I'm, a, I'm like, uh, I don't like dating you know, myself. You know, <laughs> you're not doing one one season, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, that bio on that channel uh, was Parsons School of Design. So I looked it up and applied, and I got in. Nice. And I've uh, on and popping ever since. Now. Tell me a little bit from Parsons. Mm-hmm. Once you graduated Parsons, what was your career path? Because I know you said from, you know, you had this accounting good job. We had to, we had to kind of switch that up. That wasn't challenging Angela enough. <laughs> <laughs> graduated from Parsons. Uh, what's, 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 what was the next uh, step? During my time at Parsons, I think what was pivotal was the fact that I did work a retail job that allowed me to learn about different designers mm-hmm. and also uh, allowed me to learn the psychology of people, like me working with people. Mm-hmm. And because where I worked was like a buy, sell, trade place. Mm-hmm. And so people bring in their clothes and we review them and buy them if like they fit what we needed. And seeing how tied people are with their clothes and when you reject their clothes, they feel like you don't think I'm cool enough. You don't think it's it just it's, seeing how t- so close are not close. Even though we keep we, we think fashion is frivolous, we associate a lot of our identity with clothes. Close, yeah, it's very so. Yeah, it's self-identity. It's emotional. Um, it's sensitive. You know, a lot of folks are sensitive about their clothes. Also, too, you know, people identify with their clothes. Their clothes are their statement and discriminate and discriminate. So it's, it's, it's a lot of things that goes on with fashion and being in that industry. That retail experience taught me a lot about that. And then after me leaving that locate, me leaving retail, I had a friend from Parsons that, uh, we didn't, there was no costume design, uh, class mm-hmm. or degree in Parsons at the time, but she was on the path of becoming a costume designer and she asked if I wanted to assist her in some production. So I started doing uh, assistant work, like assistant uh, 
stylist and set customer on HBO productions. Nice. Commercials, film and television, and then soon soon after that, wardrobe supervising, dressing. So I started off in film and television first with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I split off with her due to like creative different creative differences. Right. And also like learning, I had to take a mental health break because I learned uh, just how she moves, not how I wanted to move. Right. Uh, it's kind of toxic and it was a lot. You really, yeah, because sometimes you really don't know people until you you start working with yeah, them. Yes. Yeah. And being just in the entertainment space, it's, you know, you want to get into the industry, taking those hits as they come, but being able to navigate and use those opportunities as leverage to get on to the next step yes. or where you want to be. And I think during that time, like I was great, I'm always going to be grateful for like uh, the leg up to get in the industry in that fashion. But I knew my gut, there was a healthy way of doing this. Right. Yeah. And I was being convinced that no, you have to be cutthroat. You have to talk about, you have to talk behind each other's backs. You have to hurt each other in ways to keep each other from getting jobs. There's like a, a, a big scarcity mindset and the queen bee mentality that I just was not down for. It was like so exhausting. And, I, and I'm and it, at the end of the day, I was, I kind of thought like, aren't you having fun? Like no one's having fun. Everyone's just miserable. Yeah. We're in that <laughs> space. We're being creative. Yeah. We're playing dress up. You know, like you Why get, are we like, not having you, fun? And like you get to do this, but, but there's no joy or, or happiness and or excitement. Like, this yeah. is what I want to do. I'm here. Like I'm living, yeah. I'm in the moment, you know, I'm do, I'm on film and TV, I'm dressing, but mm-hmm. you know, some, you know, folks it's, they want to climb up the totem pole, Yes, but they kind of, you know, everything else gets lost in the shuffle. Yes. I'm like, the work is hard enough as it is. I don't want to make it any, even any more dif- yeah. difficult. And I also realized there was a, this, this mindset. There's just a lot of isms that, we deal in America that the microcosm of that effect is in every industry that you are in. Yeah. And in, I feel like a lot of people, especially predominantly women are affected by that. And mm-hmm. those toxic behaviors erupt, I guess, as a um, result. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also to, it becomes acceptable. Like this is the mindset to have to move up and we have to cut each other down and we have to do all these extra things and it's acceptable when it's, it's, it's not. Yeah. So taking your mental health break. I take a mental health break and I have to let, I, I took time for myself to understand why, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you here? Also, you have the right to be here because I think a lot of it also was happening because of the like kind of cutthroat and uh, like, toxic behavior like you have to be this one particular way to get in i was also being convinced that um it's going to be difficult for you or you, i had to be this way to get into the union or um to get ahead i, I was just convinced that there was other another route yeah so I, me taking that mental health break allowed me to figure out okay what moves i wanted to make and what my intentions and purpose was so during that mental health break period, I also, through a friend, discovered Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So that helped with a lot of healing and adopting practices that allowed me to have a stronger sense of self, especially navigating this industry. Yes. 
and my me doing that, like a lot of my manifestations and um, meditations, I wrote down on a piece of paper one day. I was like, I want to get back into, I want to switch it up. I want to be around music. Mm-hmm. And that manifestation led me on the journey of uh, entering theater. So the first job I got was Jazz and Lincoln Center. So I remember seeing, um, it was Craigslist back in the day, and <laughs> seeing that, um, this job listing. And I was like, you know, you see things, you're like, I'm just going to go to sleep. Something told me, it's like, do not go to sleep before you fi- apply for this job. And I applied for it before I went to sleep. And in the morning, I had the interview and I got the job. And at the time, I wasn't a huge jazz head. It was still a huge learning curve for me, first for the artists who I was working with and also um, just the space in the venue. And I remember the first time like working with the orchestra, working with uh, Wynton Marsalis, mm-hmm. as a proclaimed jazz trumpeter, um, and realizing first and foremost, I had to go do my homework. I'm not someone that just arrives on set just empty handed and not yeah. knowing anything. Just so in a white to... room. Like, who's this? <laughs> who are you? Like, no, you do like, your I research. Have to, I, there's a part of me that like, I need to know, I need to appreciate where I am. Yeah. So not being a jazz head and not, not, and also not knowing too much about him. It's like uh, some people just come, just go to, I'm just going to keep my head down and just do the job. I came there and I was like, wow, I'm around all this music. And it clicked. I was like, I'm working with a black man that, this is his. He created this. This is amazing. You know, so uh-huh. being somewhere that's black owned, I was like, this is amazing. Work. Yeah. I'm, I'm somewhere that's black owned. And it was kind of a UN for artists, like so many different artists would pass through there. And mm-hmm. then it really helped sharpen my tool set when it came to style. Mm-hmm. And the, also the concept and uh, behind the art form that is jazz. Mm-hmm. I take that with me and how I dress, you know, um, it's kind of a why not sensibility and, um, the importance of really studying and knowing your craft is what I took from being around jazz musicians. They are very adamant about learning their, learning the past, um, practicing and being on point for the future, for their present. So they can take them into the future. And it, uh, it, it, it creates like a really great arsenal. So like they are ready for pretty much anything. Right. And I just take that with me. And it was my first uh, time being in a creative safe haven. So I remember um, times being there in the orchestra room while they were doing their rehearsals and watching them collaborate to bring a piece of work to life. And also what was, what was beautiful was, uh, each artist was awesome in their own right and had their own individual projects. And I would watch them show off each other so, to support, to play on their, each other's records. And I thought, I was like, I want that. Mm-hmm. So that I had that. It was my first like artist collective. Mm-hmm. And after me leaving Jazz at Lincoln Center, uh, we, we were the ones that unionized wardrobe at Jazz at Lincoln Center. And through that is how I became, got into the union. Um, I took a bit of a mental health break after that. (laughs) It's good to take pauses. It's good to take pauses after production, like, because sometimes, you know, work consumes you. Yes. Because, you know, 
people, you know, fail to realize that when you're in theater, film, TV, whatnot, like you're on the go. We're running around with cue cards this thick to our next change. And we have to be on point. Exactly. There's no room for error. You know, it's, it's good in a sense that you love what you do, but it's a certain amount of pressure and expectation that comes with, you know, being in entertainment. So you took your break. Yeah. So I took my break more specifically because during that time was also um, 45's era, mm-hmm. era. So we were getting a lot of that going on. I know under his presidency, a lot of us, it was just a lot for, for many of us. And at the same time, I was, we were unionizing at Jazz and Lincoln Center. So during that time was my intro to politics. <laughs> so seeing how things worked, like my whole world, like, expanded. I wouldn't say exploded, but it really expanded to the point that it, it felt like I was walking along and the library fell on me. And I had to take the time to read all the books. Got you. You know, and like, I remember I was talking to uh, a friend of mine and she was like, you're very heady. I was like, there's a lot of information here. I, I, what we just went through <laughs> and I have to process. I didn't take time to process, process what, it, I yeah. just, what just happened. Mm-hmm. And it was also another, it was a point of awakening for, for me uh, about how the industry is, how people are. You know, people have titles, but still have no power. Oh yeah, and and, and so also and also the um, how people. I learned a lot about what it takes for people to change, meaning that if people are not uncomfortable enough, it's very difficult for them to change. So I could be That's asking true. someone to help me or something, but if the risk is too high for them, mm-hmm. I I'm not going to get their help. Yeah. So. And you see a lot of that in this country, especially during that time. Mm-hmm. Like, there are certain privileged people that don't get affected by certain things. And um, to participate in any fashion it would mean that they would have to give something up. And if it's too great, then why bother? Why bother? Yeah. And so I learned that. So after that um, break, again, it was another point of, like, healing mm-hmm. and also reassessing, okay, what steps what's next out what's what's next for me and it took a minute and I, I think I had like lost a lot of trust so I had to kind of take a leap of faith and just start applying for different jobs um during that time I was a uh, assistant designer to some Broadway des- designer for off-Broadway productions um I did some shopping for um different designers on Broadway and also one of my favorite productions I worked on was Eclipsed. I was called to work with Clint Ramos's team mm-hmm. because his uh, assistant, unfortunately, um, had a, a medical injury. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't like be at full capacity. So he needed some additional help for the team. So that was my intro at Public Theater, working with him on that particular production. And then that production got brought to... Broadway. So I was able to work with them to remount that on Broadway. And what was special about that was it was all black female production. So you're with your tribe now. Yes. Yes. Lupita Nyong'o was the lead. Uh, Denai Guerrera Mm -hmm. uh, was the playwright. A black producer. It it was just a magical 
space and to be all black on Broadway. I'm never forget being like, I think in the lobby space or Mm -hmm. I forgot exactly where we were, but all that energy. It's like, we're here. It was like, we're here. here. This is magical. Uh, And this is special. This is, which is why I like watching black Panther, the first black Panther and Wakanda forever was special. because those same people I work with are on the screen. Yeah. During a movie. Yes. They're, it's real. Yeah, it's real. It's you know, real. it also made it feel like, oh, that's tangible and that can happen for me. Yeah. And another part was the fact that they also, they rolled and like, they had their own creative community with each other. So if one got a job, they kind of helped put each other sure. on. And I'm like, I want that. Right. <laughs> and that's how I want to roll. That's how we, I want to move through the industry. So, I did some work supervising, some um, assistant designing. So I did a lot of support work for other people. And it was soon time for me to actually take the lead. Mm-hmm. When you take multiple roads, it builds character. Yeah. It builds a strong foundation. You become very relentless. Mm-hmm. And you really know what success is. And you can see that. Mm-hmm. And it just builds like this armor, like... I can do anything because I've been doing many things, but I'm going to own this road right here. Mm-hmm. This road that I'm in here and makeup, this is my road. Yeah. And also just coming in from a different perspective, you're able to see, see the industry from a different angle. Yeah. Different lens. And add more value. Mm-hmm. You know? But I think some people that have, like, for instance, I was a costume design um, I had a residency at Fordham University for two semesters, one pre-pandemic and one after the lockdown. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they are studying everything for theater, costume design, um, set design, everything you think that can comprise theater, like acting. Right. Okay. And they're in school for it. I never had that experience. experience. Yeah. So it was really, my first goal was very nerve wracking. My first semester at Fordham, I had I had imposter syndrome, and it felt like initially I felt like because I haven't costumes on in a while, I was busy dressing. So first, being far not that far removed, but removed enough where it kind of let, like oozed in a little doubt. Like, am I am I supposed to be here, or what do I have to teach them? I was worried about them, like. Pointing, pointing out, out yeah, everything, um, like, what yeah. is she doing here? How is she teaching me? Does she meet the criteria? Yes. She's on a checklist. Yes. And, and also, I had the pressure of the fact that uh, Clint Ramos at the time was, like, at the director of the program. Mm-hmm. So, here's a Tony Award winning costume designer. I was like, hey, you want to work here? And, and I was like, sure. <laughs> you got the stamp, yeah, so, so that means like, you're well, enough. Geez, yeah. enough. So, it was like, that was a... Not- it was like a massage to my ego. To yeah. Like, you're, you're where you're supposed to be. And also too, I think Angela, like sometimes like in the being, just being in the industry, when your people sees you and they tell you you're enough, you are good. You're great. And I want this for you. It touches here. Yes. It touches here that no one else could. Yes. Yeah. I just wanted to do a really great job. Mm-hmm. So I think that the testament to that was like, after the lockdown, um, I was called back earlier this year, yes, to um, costume design another play. Mm-hmm. And my second go around um, working as a costume designer for Fordham and working with the students when I had the first production meeting. But I came 
display and make sure my first line of defense is always my wardrobe. It's like, I got to look fierce. I got to, you know, feel great upon entering. And yes. I, when I uh, walked into the production room, everyone's like, her. You know, my um, costume shop manager, we gave each other hugs. Like, I had developed true, genuine friendships. Um, she, yes. her and her daughter recently saw the production that we work on together. And she texted me. He's like, hey, we're here. And, uh, and it's like, I want to know how this works. So I can't tell you. It's a secret. <laughs> like, all the behind the scenes stuff. So knowing that working with people that fully see you and fully show up for you, I had so much support to uh, do the work I need to do for me and also to help with the students. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the students there, I tapped him to work with me on a production outside and created an internship for him. Amazing. And and I hope he's doing pretty good now. You know, I know I'm for sure he's doing great. Mm-hmm. But it was like... Look at you creating a little community. Yeah, so I was like, that, that's, that's like... That's the point of it all. Yeah. Like I, I, I was wanted better than what I had. Right. Todd and I were just talking about that on the way over here. It's like, why do things yeah. have to be difficult? I feel like the difficulty is not even because things are actually hard. Mm-hmm. The difficulty are those that gatekeep and want to keep things the same and maintain and control power. Mm-hmm. But with art, and it's just necessary for us to the, like, kind of break down those uh, barriers, barriers and get... It's a, it's, we need great work. And it needs to get out there. And it's not the great work is not going to get out there if we're not breaking down these walls to make it happen. Right. Exactly. And then also, too, being able to create a community that is of, you know, your own tribe and, you know, tribe meaning that people in general that are going to show up, they're here for you and they show out, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's great how you were able to navigate, you know, your space, you know, getting into film, TV, theater, and just having that community and that backing behind you. Like, Angela, you're great. You're fantastic. And we want you here. We want you here. On the way here, Todd and I, we were, we were speaking about you know, just having a community and having people that really are here for you. They, they come out, they show out and you're, you know, it's a community that's, you know, behind you, that's empowering you to do better. That's inspiring you. So I think that's a great way that you have, you know, navigated your space and created a community that's for you and that wants to see you successful. So I think that's amazing. Now we have spoken a lot offline about hair and makeup. <laughs> and of course, wardrobe, yes. Um, and how the looks and everything, you know, marries together to create the overall character um, for whatever production we're doing and whatnot. So tell me how important from your lens is here in makeup to wardrobe in dressing clients, being on a production, working with characters? It's everything works in tandem. So it's incredibly important hair and makeup with costume help tell the story of the character and mm-hmm. make the character believable. It helps the actor tap in to bring out that character for themselves, right. for the lens, for theater. So yeah, it's definitely important. Because mm-hmm. when I um, first started on a production, I was just like, when I saw like all of the beards, all of the wigs, I'm just like, I don't see how this is going to look on this person. I don't know. I, I couldn't see it. And then when we started working together and then I saw the guard outfit 
and then you put on the Lord of the Rings beard on. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, this, this, this is Razul. Okay, so, um, but I was just like, okay, now, now I see what Angela's been telling me. Like, hey, you know, when it all comes together, it comes together. And it's important for the actor to feel, you know, empowered to be while they're in that role. So make sure you're here for this change at this time. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, as a costume designer, you're kind of versed in a little bit in hair and makeup and in design. Because right. as a costume designer, you're thinking about the full umbrella spectrum of everything. Of everything. Mm-hmm. And then everyone is also part of your team. So as a costume designer, I'm also like, I'm thinking about the attire, but I'm also thinking about brainstorming of how the makeup should look, mm-hmm. brainstorming how the hair should look. You collaborating with like the hair designer Designers, and the yeah. makeup designer on that idea. So it's like a collaborative effort to, for, for the overall vision. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And what would you say was the most difficult part? Um, you know, just being a dresser because the viewers and listeners would, you know, love to know and also to, to be aware of and be mindful, you know, getting into this industry isn't all glamorous. You know, it still comes with a certain level of thought process. Like, you know, is this really for me? It comes with this much and I've done my research. So tell me. Uh, I know. I remember I was watching an interview with uh, the costume designer for Black Panther, Ruth Carter. Mm-hmm. She's no, she's like she did Ruth Carter. She did a Spike Lee, and all these different productions. And her mom was like, "You so you just do people's laundry?" <laughs> she couldn't fathom. Like, yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, that's what it is." And I have a friend that said the same things. Like people just think we do their laundry. They don't understand that we're helping them. Like it's more to it than it's that. More to it than that. Like it's stitching. It's beadwork. It's alterations. It's um, it's not just fittings, a, design. It's you're helping uh, the story. Cats. Yeah, it's it's help. You, you help the story come along. You know, like the quick changes, just from um, uh, from one look to the next in less than twenty seconds. Like my uh, the current production I'm on, like my some of my quick changes, the quickest is like twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. And as a dresser, everything's very technical, very physical. I think people don't realize that. The ergonomics that goes along with it. Like you have to be holding very heavy costumes, heavy baskets, carrying baskets carrying. around. There, I'm fortunate to work in a theater with an elevator. Some theaters do not have elevators. They have stairs. And sometimes your costume is like on the seventh floor. And you have to kind of get that for your quick chain. So a lot of it's not accessible, which I think I really hope these theaters can work on. Making mm-hmm. more theaters accessible. Exactly. Um, Especially if you're dealing with big, you know, musical numbers and heavy, quick changes, heavy costume changes, hats, turbans, like all sorts of different things. And you're dealing with, you know, props as well. So it's it's great that we have an elevator and, you know, rubberized stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And also dressing is not just simply for uh, theater. Um, In fashion, there's dressers that fashion shows um celebrities they have their dressers so the skill set of dressing someone is also you're kind of there i'm not gonna say confident i can't find i can't find the word exactly right now but it's mainly like it's just it's so intimate it's so personal because people they're, they're vulnerable uh, if people are stripping down in front of you physically both attire wise and also also mentally and spiritually because they have to either get into character or they're 
trying to get themselves in the, their head in the game to go speak or getting their head in the game to go stand in front of a crowd and perform or sing. So uh, you're in their intimate space and that requires a lot of trust. Yes, I agree. It's not for you to be there like, hey, take a selfie with me. And like, you know. Uh, it's not glamorous. It really not, isn't. It, you know, sometimes it's, like, it's work. You have to be precise. You have to respect the actor's space. Yes. You have to know, you know, what makes them feel comfortable going into the next change, how they, you know, what order and what sequence they like, yeah, they, exactly. they need to get into the next change. Like I've seen you, you know, you, you hold like the, the pants out, oh. you put the suspenders on and then you do this and they turn around and like, there's like a, a, a formula. There's a rhythm to it. Yeah. Like, as a dresser on a, um, on, on a theater production, every dresser has their choreography. Yes. Everyone does. That's the right word. Like every, <laughs> like everyone does the crew, all the crew does an effort, an effort for everyone, uh, to move to the show smoothly, but also to prevent any accidents. Right. Set pieces are, set pieces are being pulled up into, um, the heavens and yeah. pushed and pulled and, uh, people are running across backstage. You just don't want any accidents to happen in the dark. Right. Um, also dressing requires a lot of problem solving. Mm-hmm. So it, what do you do when your quick changes? Like, for instance, last night, I do this change for the past five years. And somehow I pulled the wrong layer. <laughs> How do I fix that? Because mm-hmm. they can't see the next layer. They can't see what's coming, you know. Right. So how do I fix that? I have to quickly snap. My other friend, my other fellow Justin jumps in. We're trying to get the actor on and get them ready. And they're good to go and they run on. Sometimes something rips. Sometimes uh, something gets stuck or jammed or uh, breaks. How do you fix that in less than a minute? So you have to be able to problem solve mm-hmm. like in a quick second. Like if a zipper breaks, you're and, able to yeah, just like... have a really yeah. great head under pressure. Because one thing with um, theater, everything's live. <laughs> There's no cut like this. There's no editing. Uh it's, Take me as I come, honey. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you have days where everything goes perfectly. And some days where like it doesn't. And you just have to be okay with it. So I think learning the process of like letting go and leaving mm-hmm. things where they are. And trusting yourself. Um, respecting people and spaces. Constantly learning and studying. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, you know, every day make it like a point <laughs> to be like, I'm in this. I'm in this space and I want to be better. Mm-hmm. These are the steps I need to take. And I see you journal a lot. So even just, you know, simple things, they're just writing down, journaling, like, okay, tomorrow's a new day. This is what this, this is my change. This is what I would like to do. And just, you know, just being able to repeat the sequence of everything. And it just brought back a memory when I first started on the production, right? And this is how crucial wardrobe and hair and makeup is to each other. Um, it was like my first week and I had to do a split track. Yes. I didn't know what a split track was. I'm like, what is a split track? Like, what is this? What's going on? And I forgot one of the beards. (laughs) (laughs) And you addressing your actor and whatnot. And I was just like, well, he's not on my track. So that's someone in my mind. I'm like, that's someone else's problem. And he left 
in his costume, pissed off. I was like, why does he look so, why does the actor look so pissed off? He didn't have his beard on. So he's not fully in character. Yes. So you came and you just like, you know, you missed a change, right? I was just like, no, I didn't. My regular person is X is is this person. And you're like, no, he's not here because this person is in his place. That's why we read a split track. She's like, you know what? He said, you know what? Come. He brought the paper, he brought the split track, and he broke it down. That's what I needed that day to survive that weekend. And I and we talk about this all the time. Like, and just like, you'll be fine, you're doing great. But he needs his beard on. <laughs> You're like yeah. second show. He needs he needs his beard. So let's yeah, let's not forget. Like um, I've been doing my job in where I've been for like five six years now, and things happen. Mm-hmm. And like how you recover is what counts. Yeah. You can't be in the moment and like freezing because mm-hmm. it's live. We have to, the show must go on. Right. But I would never forget. Like I learned the split track. From a dresser's perspective. So now I can see any split track and I just know exactly what it is. Yes. Because it was like seeing it, like how important it is. The beards, the wigs need to marry with the wardrobe. Yeah, things are shifting and changing. Things are shifting and changing and be on and be ready. And also like a split track is uh, when members of the production, the company, are compensating for um, a smaller cast. Mm-hmm. So they take on different roles and they kind of fill in and stuff for each other. So things that would typically be in order um, or not. <laughs> so you have to figure out, okay, I usually have this person at this time, but this person is going to be compensating for this person. It's like a mind trick. Yeah, so, yeah, so you have to first really know your track and it, teaches you to understand everyone else's track because you really have to work together as a team. So like when the split tracks go down, mm-hmm. the dressers get together and we figure out what to pack in our baskets or mm-hmm. set or do it for our presets. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not missing anything. Right. And uh, the same for hair and makeup. We talk to you to make sure the hair and the wigs are where they need to be. In line because for the character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think like when, you know, with, with any show, like, even film, TV, theater, when, you know, hair and makeup and wardrobe marries, those split tracks, those like live moments where you have those extreme changes, those last minute stuff that just come up, you have to be on point. I do want to say that working in theater refines your craft and makes you on point with everything you have to do because it's live. You're not thinking about just that moment. You're thinking about the whole scope of everything, how it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. So everything you do has a bit more intention. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's more intention. It's precision. It's focus. You have to be on and you have to be perfect every time. Or if you're not perfect, you're consistent. Yes. And, you know, you're going through those quick changes. You're going through with your track and whatnot. But it's... For me, it it just requires a certain level of focus and, you know, you have to be on and you have to be willing to take those hits as they come and be able to recover, be relentless and, you know, be ready to work. Yes. And also it allows you to trust your team and your crew. Yes. Seeing people show up for you and support you is 
been the best experience I've had working in theater. Mm-hmm. People are watching it. I've seen productions. I, even the production I'm on, I've seen times where someone, like a swing, might accidentally leave their notes somewhere because you know they're busy. We're busy dealing with a particular costume issue, and I've watched the whole all the crew help that person. You're you're supposed to be here, and you're no, you're supposed to be here right now, and this help guide them through the rest of the show. Yeah. Because everyone else not only knows their track, they kind of also know where you're supposed to be as well. Supposed to be. So we help uplift each other and um, we have each other's back. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I will say this again. I will never forget (laughs) when, because, you know, my first week, it was tough. It was tough. And, you know, for someone to come and hold my hand and say, like, I got you. Mm -hmm. I really got you. And I want to show you. And I want you to be successful in this industry. And... But also, too, I want you to know this change and I'm going to help you. It means a lot because yes. sometimes you only get one chance, right? You only get one chance and you have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us, yeah. you know, we're the minority and everyone's looking and you wanted, you're like, Kelly, I see you and I want this for you. And you championed me and you're just like, you're going to get this yes. and I'm here for you. I really love that. Yes. Thank uh, you. You're welcome. Anytime, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have, uh, I think, on our production, we, like, we it, it's predominantly white uh, in a lot of the spaces I've been in. And this mm-hmm. is the first production I've been on where there's more people of color. Mm-hmm. And um, as uh, dressers, it's still kind of predominantly white. So when I see other people of pl- color, especially black, we see each other. And I think most recently, I think we employed uh, two uh, new uh black dressers and i remember training them because part of also being a dresser is that's when the teaching uh, comes into yes. play you have to know how to teach mm-hmm. um and i've learned uh that not everyone's a really great teacher and um my education background allowed me to use that as a skill set so to hear me teaching at fordham and harlem Freedom zone and now i'm teaching here in my job mm-hmm. and you learn a lot about uh, people and their backgrounds because of being of color or black is you come into spaces with a particular type of baggage, especially with black women. They're either probably the head of household. Um, they have so many different responsibilities than probably their white counterparts mm-hmm. um, that they got to think of. Like for me coming into um, this job, had so much anxiety of like, I don't want to go move. I need this. I don't want to move backwards because I had a lot of hardships. And I felt that from the new um, dressers that were coming on board, mm-hmm. that they needed this because they didn't want to go backwards. Right. And then the, the, then the mindset and the pressure of the fact that it's hard to get in, period. Yeah. So you're putting all this pressure on yourself to make it because you need this. And there's not... You don't see many people like you. Exactly. So it affects how you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be a bit frazzled. It's happened. It's happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I, but me I've too. witnessed it from uh, dressers that were uh, of color that would come in, that they had this extra baggage that helped, it prohibited them from, from focusing. And I would have to take, pull them aside to like breathe and remind them like you deserve to be here. But some of it is also not feeling that they're worthy. Yes. And fearing that if they make a mistake, then they're out. So they're coming in with this yeah. additional pressure of like, that's I must that, be perfect. Yes, that's that being perfect mindset. And being perfect, yeah. there's no such thing as being perfect. It, all oh. it does is cripple you. 
It does. They're not giving the same breathing room. And I've seen the other counterparts who are white that were like, oh, this person is not that great or great. I'm like, you don't even realize what this person is going through. You get to just wake up every day and do this deal strictly with you and come to work. This person here is taking care of a sibling or taking care of responsibility, real real, real life, real stuff. And then um, they need to, they're trying to handle home and also come here and trying to do this. Right. Um, So I had those same sisters, I call them, you know, that we see each other and they had moments where after they finished training with me and held me by my hand and said, thank you. You know, even us, like yes. we see them and we had one that was said she was going to come back. He's like, you, exactly. you, you were like, no, you're not. You're going to come back. I was just back. like, no, you're not. You're going you're to you're gonna come back. Uh-huh. I told us like, you're here uh-huh. like, and you're worthy of they, being in you know, this space. Yeah, and they would be like, well, you know, I think they don't want me here. I was like, who cares about what they, what they want? They'll get used to you and they'll deal with it. <laughs> and, um... You're worthy of being here. And I've just given them tips and tools to be able to handle their own anxieties, their own, they have their own traumas and they're also breaking cycles. And you're a cycle breaker. Sometimes you're the only one you feel alone. Now I'm a, I'm a cycle breaker. So like I empathize quickly. Yeah. And I like, I'm had instances where I just pulled them aside and like, no, you're worthy of being here. Take a deep breath. You're not in your body right now. You need to be in your body so you can focus on this change. And just a constant reminder of uh, you are worthy of being here. One of um, uh, both of them, I remember one of them told me, it's like, when I first came through like the bunker to my other, uh, she was trailing behind another dresser. She was training with another dresser and she saw me. She's like, I saw you. And I was like, oh, she, I see another as a girl. I saw you too, you know? <laughs> and then um, there was another dresser, black Mm-hmm. former um Broadway dancer um legend in her own right and here she is uh are we talking about the the the, 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 queen, the queen yes uh she pulled me aside one day I was like in her section of the bunker and she we held hands and we talked so Angela I just want to tell you that when I saw you I want to do my best for you I just like I'm sorry <laughs> it's like oh <laughs> mm-hmm. <But> like <laughs> You got, you got it. <laughs> Mom's like that. Like that's why you're doing it. Yeah. That tissue. <laughs> yeah. I'm like you don't get it because you have the privilege of constantly seeing yourself all the time that you don't get what it's like to like so to not, have, not, yeah yeah, to be in those yeah. spaces to, to be in those spaces and just you know the feeling of you know you're finally accepted. And we're all here and we're equal. Mm-hmm. It's the same playing field. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing of a dresser, I, what I realized, like, especially Union um, Local 764, there's a lack of diversity. Well, well, I'm not sure how it is everywhere else, but I don't see enough of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is just on average um, access to information, how to get in. There's a lot of nepotism. The information is just like not accessible, so you just have a lot of it's word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Like once I like got in through my friend, everything was just like applying and word of mouth. And then for a while, I this like this interview is like the first interview I had in any capacity in a while because everything's been. It's a blessing. It's like everything. It's a very guarded, you know, industry, and it's um, 
I know luckily now in this day and age, there is more um, program that has more of inclusivity, mm-hmm. diversity, and, you know, brings, you know, more people of color to center stage. Yes. So I'm hoping, you know, for all unions that, you know, that's at the forefront, you know, local seven, nine, eight, my, you know, they're taking heavy initiative for bringing more people of color, you know, you know, into the industry and into Mm -hmm. more productions. And I think um, seven, six, four will follow on that path as well. Yes. And I think another thing for what I think you, I think just bringing it back to the question you asked me about, like, what are the things about uh, the industry that kind of want to change or whatever? And I think is the pay discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I'm lucky enough to make, over 50 grand a year. Yeah. But um, I know like props and like stagehands, they make double the triple what we make. And we, you're working the same show, same amount of time, but they get to live in homes and houses and get pools. And, and right. I remember having a stagehand like, yeah, I'm putting a pool in my backyard. I'm like, that must be nice. I'm still paying off my student loans. Right. You know? Yeah, because <laughs> I find like, you know, even just like, dressing and you know being in fashion being a costume designer it takes a lot to specialize in that field i mean mm-hmm. you know going to college like the debt that comes with it like there's loans that comes with it that they should you know really think about like this amount is you know deserving because it's a specialized skill it's a trade yeah and also like uh it's also considered feminine work like initially how the unions erupted like or started i think i'm not sure i'm not sure, sure like uh the full uh history of like the or- origination of the unions but i think like the stage hands and props was uh were for men and uh i think the wardrobe union was created for like their wide and is considered more women's work so the pay discrepancy just the wardrobe uh hair and makeup they get paid less than like stage hands on, on average and it does not make any sense. With uh, hair and makeup, especially with costumes, we, and especially our pandemic, we're in the face of so many uh, actors and actresses. We're at, we're at risk we're as well. We're, yeah, we're at risk. So it doesn't make any sense for us to get paid less. Mm-hmm. Now, Angela, tell me what's next for you. I want to know what's in your trajectory moving forward. What are, we, what, what, what are you going to get into? Uh, what's next for me right now is self-care. I took a bit of another break this past summer, uh, for working on different productions. I was working on, I finished the film last year, which got released this year and also, uh, designed at Fordham mm-hmm. and designed another project all while still working at Aladdin at the same time. Mm-hmm. So my body was like, you need a break. So I've been taking a break since then. Um, this has been like my, my first like real creative thing. Yeah. So thank you for <laughs> this experience. You're so um, welcome. Mm-hmm. So going forward right now, it's just playing it by ear. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to dive back into focus on my own creative vision. Uh, I want to play around with uh, just getting some ideas out and just kind of testing things out and seeing where it lands me. Yeah. Yeah, because so, you're showing me some of your renderings, um, some of your um, your merchandise. I'm just like, oh, this is so fabulous. This uh, is so good. I do. My dream ultimately is to have my own production company. And I just want to be an, uh, 
comprised of different, uh, like an artist collective. So we all just show kind of the same jazz, the Silicon Center, like yes. orchestra mentality. Like they're powerful together, but individually they're just as powerful and they just all show up each other on different projects. And I kind of want something like that. Uh, and a production company to also focus on my own fashion line. And my ultimate dream is be great to costume design for musicians and different artists mm-hmm. and for their tours. Awesome. Very nice. Um, where can our listeners and viewers find you? They can find me um, on IG at The Empress of Style um, and my website, The Empress of Style by Design, or even on LinkedIn uh, under Angela M. Flick. Okay, very nice. Well, thank you, Angela. It was such a pleasure um, having a sit down with you. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. So did I. <laughs> um, there's a lot of stuff that I thought that I knew about you that I didn't know. And I really enjoy you both professionally and personally. Like you're such a gem. Thank you, doll. And likewise, you're a dream to work with. And um, many blessings on your podcast. And thank you for this phenomenal experience. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Center Stage Babes, for joining me this week. Please subscribe to our social media handles, Instagram and TikTok at Center Stage Beauty Podcast. See you next time.